Let's jump right. into our first ever green bulletin, which I'm also very excited about. podcast i am your host danny paul with me as always is the vice host leon coventry leon danny how you doing my friend it's uh it's international drinking week i'm doing great it is international drinking week damn it damn it (laughs) and it's important that you don't only stick to the booze this week you need to get that shamrock shake you got to get the happen. corned beef hash. You got to get uh, pinched by somebody. If you find anybody wearing orange, that's the North Irish, not the Irish. <laughs> oh, is it unacceptable though? Is it taboo now to pinch somebody during a pandemic? Uh, I think it's unacceptable because of Me Too. So be very careful about who you pinch. But yes, if mm, you're mm. if you're wearing orange on St. Patty's Day itself, that is a no-no. So <laughs> okay. if you're an Orioles fan, too bad. Take it off. It's St. Patty's Day. <laughs> I like it. Have you ever done anything for St. Patty's Day, like one of the historical uh, popular locations to go to? I I happened to go to Chicago once for the St. Patty's Day parade, and it was everything you dreamed it would be. It was miserable and cold and wet, but I was drunk and I didn't care, and the river was green and everybody was friendly. So uh, it it was exactly the experience I thought it would be. I've seen the Green River. I've done pub crawls, uh, but I have not actually been to the British Isles other than other than London to Bristol, which uh, it's not technically what we're covering here. So Ireland, Ireland or Scotland, I have not been to. So I haven't kissed the Blarney Stone. Mm-hmm. Now you've had corned beef hash. You've had any manner of Irish drinks. We have Guinness, of course. You have to have Guinness. You have to have a Guinness, period. You do. It's, it's a law. It's a natural law. But no, I haven't done, I haven't done anything else that you would say is traditional. I know New York's got a pretty kicking festival. Um, We are, my family is of Massachusetts extraction. So of course one should try and take a trip down to Southie. Mm. If you have the means, uh, get into Childstown and get out. Don't hang out in (laughs) Childstown. You want to stay away from anywhere that there's a triple decker just in case somebody recognizes you and doesn't like you. But uh, anywhere in South Boston, I think is a good place to be all the whole week because that's where you really get the Irish pride. There's also a really nice Irish section of Manhattan. And so anywhere where you have these little denizens of, of Irish history, and I'm sure there's lots of places in Kentucky that still have, uh, you know, classic banjo and they, they play Irish dirges and all that. So now to answer your question, I've, I've seen the Chicago green river. Uh, it is something to behold, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing traditional as much as I would like. All right. That's that's actually my, one of my bucket list things I just have to do. I, I have to cross all these things off the list. You know I've been to Punxsutawney for Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I had I had to do uh, New Orleans for uh, that Tuesday. I had to do Chicago for St. Patty's Day. I got to go down to Rio at some point, right? I got I got I got to yes. I got to check these boxes, man. You got to go. You got to go to the place on the day that it happens. And if it's, you go it's down epic. to Brazil, you got to get the big bologna sandwich. Like you've seen the corned beef uh, sandwiches, uh, pastrami sandwiches, like at Jerry's Deli. You've seen those gigantic New York pastrami sandwiches. Same mm-hmm. thing in Brazil when I was in Sao Paulo, except it's bologna and it's a bologna sandwich that big. <laughs> and that's a thing down there. And I'm pretty sure they do it in Rio also. That's amazing. I love it. I would, I would love to try that. Hit up the local fair. Cause I know you've done Steins in Germany for Oktoberfest. So yeah, you're, you're checking those boxes off your list, my friend. That's very impressive. Yeah. The one that I'm most worried about that I have to figure out a plan is how am I going to do new years in, in New York? Because I like to drink. I like to be out there. The cold doesn't bother me. What bothers me is how do you, how do you stay out there all night drinking and not pee? Like that's why you I don't stay understand that. at the Crown Plaza in New York or one of those hotels that has a room facing 
Times Square. That way you mm. can enjoy all the fun and all the magic because some of them let you crack the window and then you have the bathroom and you have snacks and you're warm and you don't have to be out there with you know, all the crazies that are down there. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's get on with the green news. I'm excited. Green news, buddy. So uh, we're both drinking the same brown tonight for the mm -hmm. magical St. Patty's Day. We're both heading on the Jameson Irish whiskey. The green brown. Mm. Pretty sure. So down near you, um, in our old stopping ground, which you're back in now that we talked about, there is a bar down by the kaleidoscope you know where the kaleidoscope is down by the mall yeah yep there is an irish pub in that place where sports chalet used to be i don't know if it's still a sports chalet or what it is it's probably dicks or some other kind of sporting goods store but there is a bar between the sporting goods store and the bank of america that has jameson on tap get out of here yep i'll see if i can dig up the actual name and i'll send it to you but that's what they're known for the bar is known that's cool. for having jameson whiskey on tap very interesting little thing. Sometimes I've seen it also with uh, Jaeger. They'll have the Jaeger bottles where they spin it around and they actually pull the Jaeger out of the bottle. In this particular case, it is Jameson on tap. Nice place. They have live music there. Check it out. Uh, definitely. Let's get into green, brown news. Green, brown news. Brown news. Green news. All right. We did our uh, brown bracket earlier, which is going to show up in our make it a double section. So, Keep an eye out for that. If you're listening to this episode, you'll also want to listen to our Make It a Double episode. We talked about this uh, in previous episodes, but let's get into it now. We're going to talk about the reduction in new tariffs regarding the, the new deal with the United Kingdom. And what's happening now is with Brexit and everything going on with Brexit, we now have a chance for the United States to have an independent trade deal with the UK. Fourth of march so it's a little old because we're taping on the 14th but this is bbc news so go to bbc.com news business and you'll see u.s suspends tariffs on single malt scotch whiskey the united states has agreed to suspend tariffs on uk goods including ding 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 single malt whiskeys that were imposed in retaliation over subsidies to the aircraft maker airbus Tariffs will also be listed, lifted on UK cheese, cashmere, and machinery. The duties will be suspended for four months while the two sides seek a long-term settlement. Uh, so that's very interesting. I, it, they, I didn't even realize that that happened. So the reason the tariffs came out is because of Airbus, which I which actually isn't even based in the UK, right? Now the UK is breaking away from the EU. Mm -hmm. But because of that deal, England was suffering huge losses. It was a general imposed tariff against the European Union, which the UK was economically a part of regarding the deal with Airbus and Boeing. Fascinating. I had no idea. That's, yes. man, you learn something new every day. So the UK is caught up in the dispute as former EU member. Airbus makes wings and other parts in the United Kingdom, but assembles its commercial aircraft in the European Union proper, the continental European Union, I guess you could say. Uh, this has hit Scotch whiskey producers particularly hard as the U.S. is a key export market. Distilleries have reported a 500-pound sterling loss since 2019 due to the tariffs. Prime Minister Bojo, Boris Johnson, said the trade truce due to come into force on Monday would boost British business. From Scotch whiskey distillers to Stilton makers, the U.S. decision to suspend tariffs on some U.K. exports today will benefit businesses right across the U.K., get me at home <laughs> so you were talking about this earlier when you were doing your brown report a couple episodes back you said that scotch was down yeah could it well, be this makes a lot of sense get it into the country yeah it's possible it's possible i mean we're big drinkers over here and obviously we had a big drinking year but uh maybe they just couldn't get it over here fascinating so as it were Next up, headlines. I wanted to know all about Drinking Week, and I wanted to try and get a sense of perhaps the reality of what St. Patty's Day is. Because if you talk to anybody of Mexican descent, Cinco de Mayo is a joke. It's not actually the day that 
Mexico declared independence. It's got something to do with something else. So they, they don't even declare that like their July 4th is not the 5th of May in the country of Mexico. So I, I wanted to know a little bit more about St. Patty's Day, other than we all uh, we all wear green and we all drink, which is okay, again, no problem. You know, Halloween is a celebration of the dead, and yet it's a chance to get lots and lots of candy. So this is coming from history.com slash news slash St. Patrick's Day myths debunked. You ready to be debunked, sir? I, I am. I mean, I, I feel like I'm learning a lot on this episode. So. St. Patty's Day legends and myths debunked. Number one, St. Patrick was not Irish. Huh. This is an interesting thing because you got to take advantage of the fact that all of this happens around the year 390. Now, for those of you history buffs that might be listening to the show, you realize that around 390, the Roman Empire was still very much in force. Roman Empire is known to have collapsed around the year 440. So we're still 50 years away from the formal collapse of the Roman Empire. So Patrick, who is the patron saint of Ireland, was born in what is now England, Scotland, or Wales interpretations very widely, to a Christian deacon and his wife, probably around 390. And according to the traditional narrative, at 16, he was enslaved by Irish raiders, kidnapped and taken to the land of Ireland. Now you say, all right, fine, then if he didn't, if he wasn't born in Ireland, then he was born in London, he was therefore British. Ah, 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 what if he was Roman? Dun, dun, dun. Are you... Can you hear me? I'm, I'm, I'm getting yeah. I'm getting dramatic. It's for dramatic effect. <laughs> uh, another myth here is that St. Patrick brought Christianity to Ireland. Not true, not true. There were already Christians in Ireland. He just went and proselytized and, you know, spoke the word and, and spread the gospel. And so he strengthened Christianity in Ireland. Not so much that he brought it there. It was already there. He just went and made it awesome. And as you know, if you're Irish, you're Irish Catholic, which means... The good book. I mean, they started wars over this. So it, it, to be Irish is to be Catholic. So you can mm -hmm. thank this guy for going over there with a good book and spreading word, which is interesting because the whole idea of St. Patrick banishing snakes from the island is a eulogy. It's a, an analogy. He didn't banish snakes. He banished the pagan religion, which was obsessed with nature. So a snake is actually a symbol of the nature-based pagan religion of the Celts that he managed to kick off the island because he converted everybody to Catholicism. That's your wow. snake. Well, I can't, well, how does all of this get rolled into getting fucked up? Well, you can watch a number of different documentaries. One of my favorite ones, I think is Robert wool, where he, he was on HBO. I believe he said, you know, when, when a myth becomes legend, print the legend. So if mm -hmm. you get people that actually go back and they comb ancient tablets and written manuscripts and all kinds of actual real history that you dig out of the ground or you find locked away somewhere, you find that most of this stuff was done very recently and people just have a short memory, especially in America. So the idea that green is historically associated with St. Patrick, uh-uh. He had a color known as St. Patrick's blue, but people <laughs> like to associate green with Ireland because of clover and grass and it rains a lot. So there's a very, very lush greenery that's known with the Emerald Isle. It's the Emerald Isle because there's lots of green shit on it. Am I, am I wrong for just wanting to put my head in the sand and believe the stories? This, this happened to me the other day. I was watching uh, one of these shows that was talking about King Tut. In my mind, King Tut, is this monstrative, huge, massive pharaoh that ruled the land, right? When really he was like a 14-year-old skinny kid with all kinds of deformities because of uh, too much inbreeding. And he, I think when he died, he was like, I don't, I don't think he was even 17, 18 years old. So, yeah, I, I hate figuring out the truth. It pisses me off. Which is to say that King Tut probably just had the most reliable and documented history because things get lost. So they found all kinds of stuff about him. Like, oh, great. We know everything about King Tut. And everybody goes, oh, King Tut must have been awesome. Well, he's just the guy that had most of his stuff written down. Mm. Uh, when you look at things that come out of this, they usually show up very recently. So the idea that popular St. Patrick's Day festivities have the roots in Ireland. No, they don't. They have their roots in the Irish that left or got kicked out of Ireland and came over here. And these are the ancestors of those people celebrating what's left of their heritage. 
So we talked yeah. in the previous pod about how Budweiser came from Czech Republic and now it's here. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. bring stories with them. And what happens is it mixes with local culture and it, it manages to survive, which is awesome, but it's not holy holy, you know, going back to the old country. It's whatever got mixed in with the, with the local flavor. Same thing so with corned sp- beef. You've spent a fair amount of time in Asia. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you, the Japanese celebrate this? No, no. Like no, it doesn't I mean, even, they, does, it's not even a blip on the radar. They don't no. go out and dress green. No, no, no. They, they don't have any sense of the American holidays with the exception of Christmas. And it's real big to get Kentucky fried chicken on Christmas day. Yeah. But, but other than this that, being an Irish holiday, but they don't even nope. No, I mean, they don't, they don't have Portuguese holidays. I mean, they don't, they don't have any of the other outside influences that came in. They're still pretty well homogenous. So it's important to think of it like that in St. Pat in, in Ireland, if they do celebrate St. Patrick's day in Ireland, it's probably the American influence on their culture of their own heritage, because America is a melting pot. When you have Mm -hmm. a homogenous culture where everything's been the same forever, like Japan, for example, all of their traditions go back thousands of years because they don't let anybody in and they never leave. So that's one way to look at it. I I like these things because I like to see what happens. I remember my history 4A teacher uh, in undergrad, he said, basically every myth that you read about history was written by the winners. So when a, one culture conquers another, they go, well, who are your gods? Oh, oh, your God must be our God, this guy. So guess what? They're all the same. And you now call your God, this God, because we conquered you and we won. So that's how history morphs its way through life. <laughs> well, I don't want to jump too far, but obviously uh, there's a, there's a parenting session coming up and I will say that some of these movies are uh, really good at explaining that message. Have you seen the new trolls trolls too? There's a quick line in there where they're talking about how, you know, the, the pop trolls stole the, you know, stole everything, but the whole time the pop trolls, they weren't the ones that stole it. Everybody else just took their strings and ran. And he goes, she, and she says something like, but in the scrapbook, he goes, scrapbook, scrapbooks are cut out and pasted by the winners. And I was like, <laughs> that is, that is really wise. <laughs> Too wise for my kids that's watching it. But it, anybody it that studies true. history, you'll see that there are a number of deities that seem to share very similar histories that have different names. So, you know, who's the next culture that's going to come along and win? Are they going to rename everything? So, you know, when you, when you come in, all the pictures come off the wall, all the new pictures come up and let's pretend none of this ever happened. Mm -hmm. But that's our green news for this week. Green news. Green news. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Bottle of Brown. We just talked about our green news. Let's get into some headlines. All right. So we talked about this website last episode. I don't know how I keep finding this particular website, but hey, they write good stories. So this comes from theconversation.com slash the dark side of daylight savings time. Full disclaimer, daylight savings time is stupid. Yes. I can't wait to talk about that, but let's start with the story. And then clearly I'm going to end on a rant on how stupid Daylight savings is, but go ahead. I like it like a Dennis Miller, like when I turn the lights down as you continue to go into it. It may be. That's how passionate I am about how dumb this is. All right. The article starts, a train hurtled around a corner at 82 miles an hour, eventually coming off the rails and killing four passengers. Tragedy. Decades earlier, faulty decision-making resulted in the deaths of the seven-person crew of the space shuttle Challenger. Years before these events, a stuck valve regulating the supply of coolant to a nuclear reactor nearly resulted in the meltdown of a nuclear plant in Pennsylvania. In each of these cases, poor or inadequate sleep was one of the factors that contributed to the failure. Even if you're not an engineer working in one of these contexts, the odds are pretty good that you occasionally get a poor night's sleep. Happens, right? In fact, over one third of American adults sleep less than the suggested minimum seven hours a night and two thirds of American teens sleep less than their minimum recommended eight hours. Even for those with good sleep hygiene, there is one time of year when you are likely to be short on sleep. The annual 
shift to daylight stupid time. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Even with the extra daylight facts don't look good. American public has had a love-hate relationship with daylight savings time since it first became law in 1918. Personal preferences aside, the empirical evidence for the intended benefits of daylight savings time are mixed at best, whereas the costs of the switch to daylight savings time are becoming increasingly evident. At the crux of these costs is the effect of the time shift on our sleep patterns. Now, I would say, breaking off here, this is, this is Danny's commentary. I would say sleep is certainly part of it. You gain an hour, you lose an hour. There's also the thing of when was your flight? Do you show up at the airport an hour early or an hour late? There is video conferences that get missed. There's meetings that get lost. Anything that you have with anybody who's a thousand miles away from you, everything gets thrown upside down. Even the scheduling of uh, you and me having a good time. You used to be an hour behind me and now we're on the same time zone. So what do we do now? One of us has to shift our life an hour just yep. to remain what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, there are some cool side effects. And since there's only a few, I'll open with those. The one that we just experienced is the one that sucks. And everyone agrees losing an hour sucks. But gaining that hour actually is pretty epic. When you went down to party with uh, the OU folks mm -hmm. down in Athens. Uh, it's a huge event uh, because that is the night where you get a whole extra hour of drinking mm -hmm. and the bars stay open an extra hour. So it's an epic event. That's pretty cool. But the flip side of that, where you get that hour taken away is horrible. And, and you got to uh, pay the piper. Yep. And, and you do. And, and what makes, what makes it even stupider and I know that's probably not even a real word and don't ever want to play Scrabble with me because I don't know what, what are real words and what, how to spell them anyway. But the, the biggest problem I have with it is that we're not even consistent as a country on this. So some states like yours don't participate in it. Yours and Hawaii. Hawaii, yep. Hawaii doesn't. Uh, and I believe uh, is that there's a place in Illinois or Indiana. There's somewhere over there where they don't flip either. Um, didn't yeah, know that. and I, I I feel like that's the case because it messed with us over in Ohio. I may be completely wrong, but I think that's the case. Um, that being said, if this if we're not even consistent, it even adds more complexity into how dumb this thing is. And your your body starts to get used to this, the day is getting longer and shorter, and it's happening at a slow enough clip. Eight six minutes a day, three minutes a day, your body knows how to adjust to that. But this shock to the system where everything gets thrown upside down on, oh my God, it's dark when I'm going home or it's dark when I'm waking up in the morning now. And it, it plays more than just, I didn't sleep well tricks. God forbid you have children that really won't understand it. God forbid you have dogs, pets, animals that rely. I mean, my dogs, they don't need a watch. They can tell you exactly when it's five o'clock because they're starving and they want that food and it messes with them. And I don't understand the benefit of it. I keep hearing, you know, it was, a, you know, the farmers wanted it back in the day. It made it more, I, I don't even really know the, the true reason, but it can't be a reason anymore. And how do we as a nation does it have to be an actual platform that one of our politicians runs on for us to get this fixed? Or can we all just come together as one bipartisan group and vote this damn thing away? That's how I feel about it. I think it happens at the local level because I remember a statute in California before I left that talked about doing away with daylight savings time uh, because they, they cited most of the statistics from this article. Uh, some of this stuff is pretty scary. Um, you know, it's, it's involuntarily jet lag is what it does. It subjects you to, for those of you who haven't traveled on a plane and haven't gone to another time zone, basically spring forward and fall back is effectively forced jet lag. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the dogs, right? The dogs get up at the same time every day. They've got a cycle, they've got a routine, they got to do their business. And yet what used to be seven or six is now five or, you know, uh, what they were saying here is that, uh, Studies showing that the time change predicts a 5% increased incident of heart attacks. It costs the American economy $434 million each year. That's hard to believe. How do they even, uh, how do they put dollars to that? 
That's a, that's a good question. Following the shift to daylight savings time or following a night of sleep deprivation, people were less able to discern when a situation involved issues of moral relevance. You just don't care when you're not sleeping. Mm -mm. Uh, there's something that hits a little bit more close to home. A recent study found that judges hand out harsher sentences, 5% longer in duration the Monday following the time change. Stop it. If you're in court on March <laughs> 15th, <laughs> bring a rabbit's foot. Call in you're sick. Screwed. Is that a thing? Can you call in sick to court? Oh, dude, take the jail time, man. <laughs> Don't show up. Uh, studies are on the tip of the iceberg with adverse consequences of the time change ranging from student, student test scores to stock market returns. That's interesting. No matter your sentiment toward daylight savings time, accumulating evidence reveals that the costs of shifting to daylight savings time cut across society. Although the negative outcomes are varied, the singular solution seems quite simple. Rather than change the clocks, we should change public policy. Many state legislatures have taken up this cause with state houses coast to coast, reconsidering the annual practice. So, yeah, it's happening locally. It's not a federal thing. It's little places pop year to year. Uh, as the research evidence is considered, other states could end up joining Arizona yeah, and Hawaii and abstaining from the annual daylight savings time madness. As we move towards that possibility, we may find it easier to save lives and money rather than chase the daylight. So think about this, 1918, where there is no social media, where the news that you got was from a paper, where uh, just getting information and buy-in was way more difficult than it is today. And what they were asking the public to do in 1918 was, we're going to twice a year shake up your life. And they were like, okay, yeah, yeah that sounds good. What should be far, far easier to do is to take that shake away. Right now, we have the way to communicate. We have the way to, uh, to get the word out. And what you're really doing is making everything easier. And we can't seem to cross that bridge. I, I'm fascinated that they were able to pass this in 1918. And we can't even sniff a resolution today. I have to guess that in 1918, we were mostly still an agrarian society. Like you've got pockets of industrialization in the major cities, but for the most part, it's farmland and, and there wasn't that large migration to cities. What I'm very curious to know along the lines of your thinking is after the Great Depression, when you had the Dust Bowl and everything dried up, wasn't that the time to go? Yeah, great. Farmers. Not so much. Yeah, right. You know, you've yeah, got maybe. factories blooming up, making all the war equipment like shells and tanks and planes and all that. Isn't that the time to go? Yeah. If this was for the farmers, yeah, sorry, farmers. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I still, is anything in this article highlight the actual purpose of it? Like there were, there was a real purpose, obviously for them to putting this in, but today's, mm -hmm. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why we can't get rid of this stupid thing. Is, is it, do you, what do you know about it internationally? Do they do it? They do it in Europe. Okay. I think for the same reason, I All think right. because it was, it was something that was adopted as part of this kind of pan pan Western thing. I know that Japan does not celebrate it. They look at us like we're stupid. Cause we are, they're like, right. Why, why do you change the clocks? Like it it's gets so dark earlier and it gets lighter earlier or it gets darker later or it gets lighter later. Just deal with it. It's called the seasons. Right. right. You know, like, the Greeks didn't uh, deal with it. The Romans didn't deal with it. The medieval times didn't deal with it. The Renaissance didn't deal with it. And yet around 1918, we have this brilliant thing of, yeah, I know, let's mess with the clocks. Let's pretend well, that the sun doesn't spin once on its axis. We know what's equally asinine is to say, oh, well, the days are longer in the summer. So instead of a minute being 60 seconds, they're now 90 seconds. Every minute is 90 seconds. That's how ridiculous it is because it'll help us cope with the length of the daylight. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let's Do get rid of this. you notice that it gets lighter earlier in the wintertime? Uh, you know, I haven't. I, I will tell you, though, coming from Ohio to California, everything's shorter and, mm. and more standard. Mm. The days swing way. I mean, Ooh, yeah, higher latitude, up, right? Yeah, the sun comes up in the summer when it's the, you know, the summer equinox or whatever that is the mm -hmm. longest day of the year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that thing's up at 4am. It doesn't go down till 10. It's, it's long days, but California, it's, 
you know, I think it varies a couple hours in the summer from the winter, but it's not nearly as dramatic. That could have something to do with it because at the equator, there, there's no need for daylight savings time at the equator. All right, we'll have to table this one for further discussion. And maybe our Magic 12 can jump in and talk to us. Bottle of Brown at gmail.com. You can email Danny. You can email Leon. You can correct us for anything you hear in the show, or you can ask a question or contribute a piece of content. Bottle of Brown at gmail.com. Moving on to our next headline, you're an aviation industry guy. So let's talk about what the International Association, no, International, am I getting this right? IATA? Yeah, what's IATA? Uh, international travel, it, something, inter- something, international association, travel administration or something like that. Ah, yes. Yes. The international air transport that association. Right. Thank you so much. Announced results from its latest poll of recent travelers revealing growing confidence in a return to air travel frustration with current travel restrictions and acceptance of a travel app to manage health credentials for travel. This goes back into the vaccine passport. What do you think of the vaccine passport? That you're saying that you have to have a vaccine to be able to travel internationally? Yeah, like the idea of I, I've been I've been given the jab. Here's my passport. Leave me alone. I I think we're going to be there. I think okay. we talked about this weeks ago when you know any of these major concerts like Coachella or any of that they're already talking about like uh, we want to have it, but we want to be safe and you know we're going to need to have some proof that you either have the antibodies or you got stuck. You know. Yep. So with uh, regards to travel restrictions, 88% believe that when operating or with opening borders, the right balance must be struck between managing COVID-19 and getting the economy going again. 85% believe that governments should set COVID-19 targets, such as testing capacity or vaccine distribution to reopen borders. 84% believe that COVID-19 will not disappear. We need to manage its risks while living and traveling normally. 68% agreed that their quality of life has suffered and 49% believe that air travel restrictions have gone too far. Um, I don't think they've gone too far. I mean, if you look at countries like Australia, uh, South Korea, New Zealand, definitely, they're doing a great job, right? Because they've managed this very, very well. Yeah, I mean, Taiwan's Uh, kicking all of our asses. Right, right. I mean, it helps when you're a little bit you know, your, your borders are easier to control like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I, I totally understand, understand that. So I don't think it's wrong. I think how the entire world handled this pandemic is a big wake up call. And I think we will, I hope as a, a world that we have a plan, a better plan than this going forward. I really do hope that, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the World Health Organization or what, but there has to be a group where everyone can get in the, at the table and say, we got to do better than this this next time because the whole world almost imploded on itself financially because we couldn't figure out how to right. how to deal with the pandemic. We stopped burning whale blubber to keep the lights on, but viruses haven't changed in millions of years. Right. And, and I think a lot of people are like, hey, don't don't infringe on my freedoms. Don't shut down my business. All those things make a lot of sense and definitely open for debate. If we would have done it right, you know, we would have had a short amount of pain and gone back to some some sense of normalcy. We couldn't do it right. And so therefore, what I think we're doing is just continuing to stretch on and stretch this forever yeah. because you can't ever have one foot in one foot out. It's either. For me, for me, I am not a med- I'm not a medical professional. I'm not Dr. Fauci. I'm not an expert. This is just, you know, Joe alcoholic on the sideline with his alcoholic thoughts on the on the matter. But I I will say that in my opinion, you jump in with both feet and you say we're shutting the hell down. We're going to control the borders. We're going to con- you know control everything we can because we know that this thing lasts two to three weeks and we can really nip it in the butt or you say, sorry, elderly population, we're going to, we're going to put you all on a boat and ship you out to Hawaii until this thing's over. And uh, once it's over, come on back, but we're going to use herd, herd immunity to take care of this bastard one way or another. I don't really know, but we didn't do it right. I'll tell you no. that. <laughs> so no, it was, it was very poorly handled. So you look at two, there's two different scenarios that I've talked to. I've talked to doctors about of my neighbors, a, um, uh, an immunologist. She's a, uh, I can't remember her title, but she deals with 
She deals with disease and she deals with infection control. Uh, there's two different scenarios you can look at. Unfortunately, they're both islands. We're not an island. Mm-hmm. New Zealand was awesome because they have a low population density. It's, it's fucking Middle Earth, right? There's right. a story in one of our headlines that we're going to talk about one of these episodes about the three species of glow-in-the-dark sharks that they found off the coast of New Zealand. It is Middle Earth, okay? There's going to be orcs. <laughs> there's going to be elves. But there's a low population density there. So when they shut things down, there wasn't a lot of people bouncing around. It was clean. They could mm-hmm. do it in a Western, capital W, Western time frame, along with sensibilities of freedom and economic, you know, whatever. When you flip that and you look at the island of Taiwan, which already is in war mode all the time, like they're the Israel of Asia. They're always worried that China's going to land on their beaches, right? So they're constantly vigilant. But in terms of population density, you're talking about exponentially more people in a confined space than New Zealand. And they basically said, you don't have any rights. So none of this, I know my rights bullshit. They put people in hotels for two weeks. Now they gave them room service. They took care of it, but they basically said for two weeks, you can't see your loved ones too bad. We don't care if you're infringing on your rights, but guess what? They were something like 5% of the population caught it or really, really minimal, minuscule numbers, but they had these very draconian measures of containing it. But since then, Taiwan's been laughing at us because they're back to Taiwan right away. Mm-hmm. And they've been Taiwan for months. So, yep. you know, you take the good with the bad. Is it, is it, do we maintain our freedoms and our self-identity and our rugged American individualism, or do we want this thing to go away? Cause you can't have both. Right. Yep. I, 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 I don't know what the right answer is. What's interesting about this article, uh, this recently came out. And then even today, I believe Dr. Fauci came out and said, Hey guys, let's, let's pump the brakes here. We're not quite there. We, we've barely immunized. I don't think we're even at, you know, 5% yet. Right. Like we need to get more of those out there. Take a good look at what's happening to Europe. Europe's already respiking again because they got a little bit too confident too quick. So let's be careful. Let's continue to wear masks. Let's get immunized. Let's get the vaccinations. Let's let's get through this. But we're not there yet. So, you know, you we can see the end of the tunnel. I just hope that people take that seriously. Just finish that last mile, you know, sprint to the finish line, the last yeah. yard. What he actually, his analogy was, let's not spike the ball on the five-yard line, which is exactly right. You yep. know, let's... 100%. And it's so hard because it's been a year of this, right? Oh, and everybody's and tired, but you know, they, we're tired the Spanish flu was two years or two and a half years. So like, this is yeah. a fraction of what our ancestors had to deal with. Yeah. We're tired um, of it. Let's look at future travel trends based on this article, which is IATA.org forward slash EN forward slash press room forward slash PR forward slash 2021 Future travel trends as part of the survey, 57% expect to be traveling within two months of the pandemic being contained. I think it's less than that. 72% want to travel to see family and friends as soon as possible, improved over 63% from September 2020. 81% believe that they will be more likely to travel once they are vaccinated, for sure. 84% said they will not travel if there is a chance of quarantine at their destination, which I think is also smart. Uh, 56% believe they will postpone travel until the economy stabilizes. I don't know about that, but those are the uh, facts and figures of that. I was talking to our buddy Ram over in Singapore. He says, the whole thing about Singapore is they'll let you leave. But if you come back, mandatory two-week quarantine. Oh, so Hawaii is doing that. He has no interest in leaving. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that's why my parents have been hiding out on the island the whole time. because. If you go back, you got a mandatory quarantine for 10 days. Yeah, so stay there. So, yeah, there, there's no point in, in coming back. Here's the other thing about this travel restriction specifically. There are giant jumbo jets parked all over the world right now because running, keeping those things operational, running them, you know, keeping them crude is incredibly expensive and they're the ramp up time. It's not like, Oh, just go jump back into that 737, turn the key and fire up those motors. We're ready to go. That's not how that works. They have to go through checks. They have to be flown to those checks. 
we've never seen anything like this where planes like this have sat idle. I'm very interested to see how the FAA gets involved, how the National Transportation Safety Board gets involved, because I we've never sat, sat planes for this long. This is not a thing that we've ever dealt with as a as a world. So we don't know how quickly they can ramp back up to support the demand. So because the planes are supposed know, you, to be in the air, right? Yeah, they, they have to be flying. They have to be working. They have to be. They're not intended to be just sitting on the ground for long, long periods of time like that. So, uh, you know, out, you know, I'm sure a lot of them are out in the desert where the conditions are the most favorable. But I remember when this was first starting out, I mean, these airlines were scrambling for any tarmac space they could get to, to ground these planes and park them because they're just way too expensive to fly them. So I don't know. I don't I don't think that I'm in. I'm interested to see how the industry can rebound because they have to have the pilots themselves. They have to go through the training. They got to go mm-hmm. into Sims again. They got to retake the test. They don't, these people aren't just sitting around ready to fly. You know, it's going, it takes time. All of this takes lots of time to ramp back up. So even if you wanted to travel in a month and, and you happen to be part of that surge, you're either paying through the nose or there isn't a ticket for you. That's what I'm telling you. For those of you interested in following up on this story, it's twitter.com slash IATA, International Air Transport Association. You get an idea of what the International Association Travel Pass is going to be about. Uh, Let's pivot to our final headline for the night. We're going to go into the weird file, as I like to do. And you like to send me text messages going, where do you find this stuff? Well, I found it. (laughs) You do. That's amazing. Donkey cheese. <laughs> donkey cheese, my friend, is the most expensive cheese on the planet. Now, there are over 400 different types of cheese, and it's basically the fermented process of milk. And we like cheese. Cheese is good on a taco. Quesadilla is the definition of cheese done well. You can have cheese and crackers. You can have want some cheese with that wine. Cheese is awesome, hands down. But if you're looking for the African poop coffee version of cheese. It is called Puel, P-U-L-E. It is a Serbian cheese made from 60% Balkan donkey milk mm-hmm. and 40% goat's milk. Mm-hmm. This comes from the Wikipedia page for Puel cheese, P-U-L-E. Puel is produced in Zasavika Nature Preserve as conceived by Slobodan Shemich. Zasavika Special Nature Reserve Manager and former Serbian Member of Parliament. Puel is reportedly the world's most expensive cheese, fetching, wait for it, wait for it, $600 per kilogram. Unreal. $300 a pound. Cheese! I think gold (laughs) is less expensive. All I know is I'm buying a donkey tomorrow. I wonder if it's going to be a Serbian donkey. Come on now. Yeah, whatever. This is not you nom smoky. There are rules. <laughs> and what? And I want to know the sommelier that pairs that cheese with wine, and uh, what type of wine goes with six hundred dollar per kilogram? It cheese. is so expensive because of its rarity. There are only about one hundred Jennies in the land race of Balkan donkeys that are milked for pule making, and it takes twenty five liters, six point six gallons, for you Americans of milk to create one kilogram, 2.2 pounds of cheese. So it's a three to one ratio of milk per cheese. And we're talking about expensive, expensive stuff. So I, I found this fascinating because I, I like these really weird, weird things because it's cheese. <laughs> like at what point, at what, at what point in the 400 plus types of cheese are you really going to notice a difference? Like you understand Cheddar, mozzarella, gouda, feta, blue. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of different types of cheese. I don't, I don't know if that's fair to lump them all together and call them all cheese. Like cream cheese to me is butter. Yeah, but the hardest thing for me to understand about this article isn't that that rare costs more. It's that people are spending that to drink donkey milk cheese. Like couldn't it couldn't it be like cheetah cheese like that would be a I oh, I'd spend 600 wouldn't it right but you, you caught can, one and you milked it you can milk anything with nipples 
Uh, <laughs> like it is. No I, mean, I want panda cheese. That's what I want. Like why donkey oh. cheese? Hashtag panda cheese. <laughs> Hashtag panda cheese. Sometimes cheese can get a little pricey. This comes from culturecheesemag.com forward slash cheese bites forward slash Pule Party World's expensive cheese. Although there are plenty of good ways to get your cheese fix on a tight budget, many of us would go to great lengths to eat cheese at all costs. But what if the cost was several hundred dollars? Uh, that's a no for me. <laughs> How about no, Scott? How about no? <laughs> Hard pass is what that is for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't eat that cheese if it was given to me for free, let alone spend $600. I'm sorry, did this come from a donkey? Then no, that's a hard that's pass. That's right. The humble donkey is the source of the single most coveted cheese on the market, formerly known mm-hmm. as Puel. A pound of donkey cheese costs anywhere from $600 to $1,000. However, even if you are willing to pay above and beyond the already exorbitant price, it's unlikely that you could get your hands on Puel in the first place. It's that rare. Made from the milk of Balkan donkeys, Puel is only produced in one location worldwide, the Zasafika Special Nature Reserve in Serbia. The milking process is slow because it must be done manually and Jenny's produce a very minuscule amount of milk on any given day. And with a small herd of only 130 fuel producing donkeys, the odds are not in your favor for there being enough cheese to go around regardless of the price. And now we are exotic cheese. We are all dumber for listening to this and may God have mercy on your soul. Get it. And get it. <laughs> what if you had to source these for your planes in your old life? What if, oh, what if, get- what if one of your clients went, I need donkey cheese or I'm not going on the plane? I would get a donk. I would get donkey cheese. You will That's go what to I would Eastern do. Europe, you will find one of these Jennies and you'll give me donkey cheese. <laughs> uh, why do you assume that it is uh, that accent? It could very well be somebody from texas or new york i don't have uh a specific serbian arrow in my quiver so i kind of go with general eastern european which has a german kind of generic bad guy in 1990s film uh uh, interesting tidbit the superior qualities of donkey's milk have been revered for thousands of years and legend has it that egyptian queen cleopatra bathed in donkey's milk in an attempt to preserve her beauty containing only 1% fat and 60 times more vitamin C than cow's milk. Donkey milk has a long history as an ingredient in health and beauty regimens. The Zasavika reserve also sells donkey's milk soap for those who believe in its restorative powers. How much do you think the soap is? I, I mean, we're washing ourselves with, with donkeys now. So we've, we've complete, we're in the upside down world now. I mean, in one half, you have stolen liposuction fat from fight club for your soap. And on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you have Balkan donkeys from a special corner of Serbia. <laughs> our world. You remember that comedian Yakov Smirnov? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like, I love Serbia. <laughs> you know, I was going through uh, when we were coming back, driving to California, moving out here, we went through Branson, Missouri. And that is where he is doing shows today. He's still out there doing shows. I couldn't believe it. In Missouri. Oh, no, uh, yeah. 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 He's in, he's out there with the Ozarks. Yep. Camels, reindeer, and yak are just a few of the unexpected animals whose milk is used in cheese production, all of which are less expensive and more easily accessible than the ever-elusive Puel. Okay. Celebration, bitches. (laughs) Here we are. We're we're paying $600 a kilogram for for donkey cheese. I've, I've always been fascinated by fu money and what people will spend their money on because you know that Mm -hmm. they're bored with costco and they're bored with whole foods and at some point 
they want to spend their money on something. So let's go get the poop coffee from Africa, which is apparently supposed to be really, really good. Awesome. Totally cool. Let's Mm -hmm. go get a $30,000 bottle of wine from a World War II destroyed town. Uh, Let's go get donkey cheese. Like at some point, are are you really experiencing something or is it more about saying you experienced something? Well, I just think your bucket list is different. That's all. That's a I good don't point. Know. It's just That's a different a list. Yeah. A heightened list. All right. Well, let's uh, <laughs> no, more, no more talk of, of donkeys and their milk fermented. I mean, I'm exhausted after that story. <laughs> um, I, I, feel, I feel worn out and depressed about society. Oh. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, we're on to our parenting segment now. We don't have a parenting jingle. Do you have a parenting jingle? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's going to be a lot more upbeat. <laughs> you want me to turn this car around? <laughs> you do find yourself saying all those things. Oh, oh, oh dude. You do. You I really do. Today. I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. You did not say that. No, no. It's my internal uh, monologue. You can't do. You can't do that stuff. Somebody, somebody's hearing. Somebody, somebody's listening to you. The neighbors will catch you. <laughs> no, but I, I found myself, you know, wag of the finger uh, at my nine-year-old today, and I was like, "What? What is it?" And he's just give me, me that look. What are you talking about, it's, buddy? You've been saying no all day. What's on your mind? Uh, speaking of my nine-year-old, we had a wonderful moment in the car. You got married on a boat. And I thought yep. that was an amazing experience. In my um, flippy floppies. In your flippy floppies. And we went to we went to an island that is now very well developed. At the time we went there, it was just an empty beach with a couple of barbecue pits. We found the guy with the golf cart who had the cooler of Corona. And we kind of converged on him and stole all yes. of his beer. And that was that was a very wonderful moment yes. uh, with us, but also the idea of the concept of a boat. We went on a bike ride today and I talked about it. I said, you know, there's people that at one time were just living on a boat. So they would just go from boat to boat to boat. They would, they would have Wi-Fi. They'd do their job with a laptop and they would have all of their meals done for them. They'd have their bed made every day. They'd have activities. They'd have a gym. They'd have a beautiful view and they would go to ports of call and they would experience culture and language and food. And my nine-year-old is looking at me like, what? Why would you do that? Well, you're nine. Of course, you don't get it. But he did ask me uh, a number of questions about cruise ships. And uh, I've been on one, your wedding. So really? As a, as I didn't a purveyor, realize that. As a purveyor of these nautical adventures, I thought maybe you might want to sound off on them in terms of their benefit and, and wonder. Uh, I know right now is a bad time to talk about cruise ships, but at some point we're going to want to get back out there. Yep. So the cruise ships will figure it out. It'll be clean. People will be vaccinated, but in terms of a family experience, uh, can you speak to the benefit and majesty of cruises? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you like tapas, like tapas bars? Yeah. Do you like, I do. do you like, yeah. So I'm totally into that. Now, if you're into the situation where, I want to try a bunch of things. I don't want to commit, right? It seems like, especially now, the more and more that you're in the U.S., uh, I don't even know why. Somehow we have the stigma of Americans are lazy. We are not lazy. We work constantly, right? Um, And what we find is we want to go do more. I want to go see all of Europe. Well, you can't go see all of Europe, you know? You have two weeks vacation. That's what you have. So you have to pick you know, exactly what you want. Also, you want to relax because it's vacation. And also you want to be with your family. So all of these things actually completely are uh, juxtaposed to each other. You want to see a lot, but you don't have a lot of time. You want to relax, but you want to be with your family. All of those things uh, fit nicely into the cruise ship umbrella because you get to have tapas or little tastes of different ports of call. And Hmm. you might actually find one that you're like, 
I enjoyed that one. I'm going back there and spending a week there as opposed to um, the, the possibility of, Hey, I'm, I got two weeks vacation. I wanted to go to Ireland. Let's go. And you go and you're like, this place was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And I blew my whole two weeks vacation. I got to wait another year for vacation. So I under I think that there's a lot of value in, in, in doing that. Plus you don't have to keep unpacking your bag and packing your bag over and over and mm, over. Good point. Uh, those are good pluses. You don't have to worry about, I mean, food is everywhere, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I do think over the years, uh, the food on cruises have gone down and, uh, uh, and it's unfortunate, but and they, they also have, I, I think it's because they introduced this new concept of the pay for restaurants, right? Oh, you want, you want your free buffet and your free dinner and all that. That's great. But if you pay a little extra, then you can go over here. And then I think that's where they put the good chefs and the good food and the high quality stuff. Yeah. So it's all I would say, right? Yeah, if you're going to go on a cruise, and I would recommend going to at least one of those. The nice thing about the family part, and I have a pretty large family, and we all love each other, um, and but in short doses. So that's where the cruise really comes in to play. You know, we we you, I see you by the pool. I can go sit by you, have a beer with you at the pool, and then go swimming, and then I leave, and I go down to the casino, and then there's another family member, and we can, you know, play video poker or blackjack together, and and you go to shows together, and there's there's so much going on. You have the choice to be engaged and active or relax and be bored. You can do whatever you want, and the nice thing is that you are on your own speed on a cruise ship, no matter how many people you go with the bad parts of it. Some people just can't handle it. Boats rock. They do. Yeah. So um, the, the space, you know, there it, is it confined these mega ships. They feel like cities. They are. They're floating they're, cities. You're not going to feel confined. You're really not going to feel confined. So I, I, if you go on a big ship, that won't be a problem, but they do move. Even the big ones, they move. So uh, if you have a problem with that, I recommend doing the thing behind your ear or the wristbands or whatever. Uh, but it, it, it's, I really, really enjoy them, but it's not an exclusive way for me to travel. If you're going to do Alaska, you got to do it on a cruise. Please just try it once on a cruise. Then, whoops, then go pick out the cities you want to and go and stay there. But, you know, that way you get to go, you get to go see the glaciers and you get to go see some really incredible scenery. If you want to go do the Caribbean, you got to do a cruise because they're all different, right? You got French islands, you got Dutch islands, you got American islands, you got British islands. They all are different. It's hard to believe that the island that you can see from the other island has such a different culture, but they are, they're completely different. So you really do have to, experience it's a good way to experience them all the downside though is it's usually a very short dose and it's almost always only during the day and mm -hmm. for me i want to see the nightlife i yeah. want to go out at night i want to go out and try the restaurants i want to i want to do that that's not something you typically get to do on a cruise you know so um there, there are definitely pros and cons it's an incredibly affordable way to travel too and especially if you have any means to be close to a port and you can pull that trigger really late in the you know when they're trying to fill those cabins and those really screaming deals come out i mean you can do a you can do a six or seven day cruise for you know 500 bucks and that's food including everything if you mm -hmm. if you're if you're flexible enough to pull that off uh, my only advice to anybody who's going to do a cruise and never done one before upgrade to the balcony room, just do it. I, you're going to be like, I'm not going to spend any time in my room. Just do it. Cause what you do is you leave the slider open. You could hear the waves all night slam against mm, the boat. Good point. It's wonderful. Um, you have your own private, you could eat breakfast out there. Uh, it's you there. Most of the time, my wife and I, whenever we go on a cruise, we'll just sit out there, have a drink. We're all by it's, it's your alone time. You can watch flying fish and dolphins and whales and all that just from your own balcony. And it's just your space. So yes, I'm a huge cruise advocate, but it's more like, you know, once every year, once every other year, uh, for me. And then, uh, and then I really like, I like all inclusives too, but I'm getting away from them because I don't, I don't drink like I used to. And I feel like I'm not getting my money's worth. So <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like all inclusives may be the best thing for my future, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I can, I continue to go to them because I like the no stress side of it. I like to say, 
putting my wallet in this safe and I'm not going to touch it again for days. That's kind of a fun experience. That was nice. That we pulled the batteries out of our phones when we did it. Yeah. You went down to, uh, uh, was it hard rock down in, am I getting that right? It was, it was the hard rock in Dominican. I went to Punta Cana. Yeah. Punta Cana. Yeah. And, uh, that's, I don't know if that one's all inclusive, but it is. We went, to, we went to Punta Cana for our honeymoon and it was amazing. Right, we traded. That was the fun part about that trip is I came from yeah. the place that you eventually ended up going to. Mm-hmm. I remember doing it as an adult. You come and go as you please. You go wherever you want. You flash your wristband. If you want this, you get it. Uh, yep. Like you didn't have Starbucks coffee or you didn't have high end booze, but for the most part, you could go to any restaurant in the entire boat. You go to any pool in the entire boat. You could go to the gym at the back of the boat. You could go to the theater at the front of the boat. You could go to the casino, like just wander and yep. you can't get lost because you're all on the boat. What yep. I thought was interesting is when I talk to people that have done the Disney cruises, mm-hmm. uh, every single cruise has a place to take your kids. What I've heard about the Disney cruises is they come and they take the kids from you. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to hold on to your kids, it's like the cell phone opt in, opt out for advertising. It's like they go, Hey, welcome to the Disney cruise. Do you want to keep them? And at that point you got to say, yes, we want our children. If at any point you show any kind of hesitance, they go, okay, great scoop. And they're gone. Yep. And I thought, I, that's a wonderful thing because you're going to have a little bit of that parental guilt for like the first hour. But then you got to imagine that this is Disney. This is a marquee brand. Those kids are having the time of their life. And you as a parent, go somewhere and sit. Yep. Well, you both both need a break, right? Your kids want to go play with other kids. They don't want to be hanging around with their parents. And, uh, but... You know, all cruise lines have that, by the way. Royal Caribbean is one I typically go on. Same mm-hmm. thing. Go to Kids Club, you go sign them up, they're gone. Disney does it better, obviously. What Disney doesn't have are casinos, and that makes me sad. So that makes me want, <laughs> that makes me not want to go on Disney. But if it means more for, uh, you know, if, you know, my daughter's happier, then sure, great. You know, that'll be fine. But at the end of the day, I, I, I feel like it's a great advantage to have that time away from each other that's part of the vacation experience it doesn't mean you're you're abandoning each other uh for the sake of uh you know a break it just means they're having fun you're having fun you're on vacation you're supposed to have fun you know and you can have fun together and you can have fun apart yeah, which is that's a key the best point part. is if you want them go get them that's right but if you want to leave them leave them yeah, but if you go get them, they're going to hate you for it because they want to play with their friends. Right, they're going to. There's other kids; they want to have other kid time. Uh, I loved it. I I can't wait to get back on a boat. So for the week that we spent in the Bahamas with the Lazy River on Nassau, and I just I I think about that time. One is a celebration of friendship because we were all there, but two, yeah. even if you separated that. This the, the idea of being on a boat, like you looked at the window and there was the ocean, you went up top deck, you got the wind and the salt and uh, I can't wait to get back on. So I'm, I'm a very big fan of cruise ships, uh, despite having one uh, to my register, but I've heard tons of stuff about going down to Mexico. I've heard more than enough about the Mediterranean and of course, Alaska, you get the glaciers. Got to do it. I, you know, if you do want to do one, you know, make sure you give me a heads up because you never know. It's actually fun to go. Maybe you'll want to go. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. fun to go together sometimes. Again, the cruise ship is, you can spend time with me or you don't have to. You know me. You were at my wedding. It was, hey, the only agenda item I have, come watch me get married, high five me at the end, and then go have fun. If I see you, great. If not, great. By the way, here's the agenda of shit I'm going to do. If you want to come with us, great. If you don't, have a great time. No hard feelings. That's the best part of that type of a trip. Smart. Very smart. Wicked smart. Wicked smart. All right, my man, let's uh, wrap this thing up. This was a good, good green bulletin, especially because we did the brown bracket. I'm looking forward to the brown bracket next week. Yeah, I hope some people weigh in on it. I really do. I hope uh, you're posting that today. We're going to put it up today. We're going to do www.bottleofbrown.com slash brown bracket. You'll get a peek at the 
2021 Brown bracket. And you'll see what we did so far. You, of course, can weigh in. If I can make a comment section on the site, I will. Otherwise, you can comment on our Instagram page, which is Bob Media LLC, which is our parent company. Uh, I'm looking into getting that switched over to Bottle of Brown podcast, but Instagram has its rules. Either way, bottleofbrown.com is where you can get us. And if you want to get a hold of us, of course, bottleofbrown at gmail.com. You can email Danny. You can email Leon. Challenge anything we talk about. Give us ideas for content. All are welcome. Well, if you weigh in, it's probably going to sway my vote in all honesty, because I, I'm interested in what other people have to say about it and what you're interested in in bourbon. So weigh in and your vote will count. I would love it if the 16 that we chose for this bracket are the wrong 16. Maybe we'll know <laughs> that we should have chose something else, but that's the fun part about having an audience. That's right. Controversy. Yeah, my friend, and a good evening. And I will talk to you next time. Yes, sir. Have a great St. Patty's Day. You too, sir. Hey, Patty. Happy St. Patty's Day. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. This place is dead anyway, man.